Welcome to Dr. Cheryl's Pod Couch, where we talk about all things parenting and mental health. Today, I am very excited to have on Rachel Arbor. Rachel, I know that you are a teacher, an environmentalist, a consultant, and you have so much knowledge to share with us. I'm so thrilled to have you. Welcome to my show. Thank you. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. This is so great. Let me share with you, um, I alluded to it a little bit earlier when we were just chatting, but I want everybody who's listening to understand that number one, this is the first time I've had a teacher on and I'm the biggest fan of teachers. So I'm so glad and grateful to have you on. And you are not an author, but you are a creator of an amazing program and curriculum And I really, I'm here to do two things. I'm here to let people know that this exists because I know and believe that this is good for kids. It's good for their health, including their mental health and their education and their creativity. And that's why I know that the parents listening are going to be really interested in what you have to say. But I also want to know, because one of the things that I'm starting to write about and talk more about these days is climate anxiety. And I'm seeing that more and more in the kids that I'm working with. And so I want to gain your knowledge on that as well. Um, So we've got a lot to talk about. Welcome. Thank you. This is a big topic to tackle. (laughs) This is, this is a big, big topic. But the first thing I want to say is explain to us, what does it mean to be all the titles that you are, an environmental consultant, someone who's bringing nature into the classroom and into education? Like, what does this really mean? What does this look like? Like on a, on a practical level, how does this work? I think, I mean, the first word as you're asking that that came to my mind is just connection. My job is just to foster connection for students. So my three goals in building curriculum and, and implementing it are to connect students with themselves, with each other, and with nature. And I've seen a lot through that work that they really respond to it. Students come in with a lot of eco-anxiety, and I'm not saying my curriculum solves that, but they come out the other end with a lot of actionable solutions. And I've seen the empowerment that accompanies that. I guess that was pretty abstract. Wait, (laughs) I have to to pause you for a second because I have been using the term climate anxiety, but I like eco-anxiety much, much better. So is that a real thing? Is that a real term? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Eco-anxiety and, you know, paired with COVID anxiety, I think both of those heightened each other, like in the heat of COVID. Now we have the climate crisis is at an all time high. And I think kids especially are experiencing all of that as just blanket anxiety compartmentalized into all these different catalysts. So we have the climate, we have school, we have COVID. Yeah. Okay, great. So I I understand that what you're saying. So eco, I think of ecology. Am I am I correct on that? Yeah, um, yeah, environmental. Explain though to parents, right? There could be people that are going, say what? Is this something made up? What <laughs> is this really like? What are we talking about? Can you really define eco-anxiety and how that really looks in kids? Yeah. I mean, it's a whole spectrum of emotion in kids, anywhere from grief and guilt to frustration and anger to fear and anxiety about the glowing cr- climate crisis. So I've talked to a lot of students in my career about what climate change means to them. There is a lot of anxiety about feeling like climate change is inevitable, feeling like they are powerless in this larger scale issue. And I think that anxiety really stems from understanding that there's a big problem going on and not understanding their role in it, whether that's as part of the problem or the solution or both. 
Okay, so I'm a parent listening and I'm like, well, I don't know if my kid has this or not. What are the what are the specific areas of our climate and our environment that kids are having these, you know, varied feelings around? What are like specific pollution. things that are happening? Yeah, pollution is like a number one trigger for students. They see um, like the Pacific Garbage Patch is this just this huge island of trash where trash has just been collected throughout the Pacific Ocean. I think seeing images like that, seeing images of fossil fuel burning, of mining, things where it's colors, it's like a color scheme of like brown and red and black, where it's not the nature that evokes peace with trees and grass and butterflies and flowers. It's dirt and we're driving our own ecosystem from human creation. I think it's really this dichotomy of nature versus this world we've created with like smokestacks and pollution in the in the Hudson. People think the Hudson is really polluted. I'm going on a tangent, but I think pollution is the number one trigger, both air pollution and water pollution, mostly because it's so visible. A little context uh, for people who don't know, Rachel is a teacher at the Garrison Union Free School District, which is in Putnam County, New York, about an hour north of New York City. So everybody listening, you could be anywhere in the world really, is going to have their own unique kind of maybe access or exposure to pollution. What you're saying is in your area, there is the Hudson River, it's the whole Hudson Valley. And so it's very much on their minds that, oh my gosh, that water in that river is polluted. I wouldn't want to go in it. I don't feel safe in it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's a large perception that it's too dirty to swim in. You know, I actually just moved to New York from Colorado. I know climate anxiety there really looks like forest fires. You know, is my town going to get evacuated? The smoke creates its own weather system. It's overwhelming, especially when you can see it so close. So I think it, it climate anxiety might look different, kind of what you were leading to, depending on what climate change has spawned in your area. But I think the things, the catalysts for students are really things that they could see with their eyes. And again, leading into this like powerlessness of mining, it's something totally beyond my control as an 11 year old kid. So I just see this horrible thing happening. I just see all that pollution in the Pacific garbage patch and there's not really anything I can do from where I am in New York. I'm really, as you're talking, I'm, I'm trying to picture myself being 10, 11 years old. And I grew up in the Hudson Valley in New York and nothing at all to do with climate was ever on my mind, was not in my stress list. I feel like as a parent, I mean, as a parent, I would have very low relatability right to my kids having this as mm -hmm. somebody who works with kids i see it all the time that's why i wanted to talk to you and i think it's our jobs you as a teacher me as a therapist to really help parents understand who maybe aren't themselves that connected or think what am i going to do about it i think parents i think adults feel powerless in in some ways as well um, and I have had another podcast about, it's a great book, but I had another podcast um, episode in which I had someone come on and talk about like what to do as a family, how to feel like you can reduce, reuse, recycle, and those kinds of things as a family, which was really great. I want to understand, do you feel that you need to really educate parents as well? Is that an important part of this equation? Or are you focused more on, their, on the students? Like, where are you at with that? Um, I'm really focused more on the students. I send out a monthly newsletter to parents 
breaking down what environmental education looks like in each class at each grade level. But really, it's I'm hoping that through their students, their students are kind of leading the families in taking action. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I see as well. Like my own son came home, like, so they must have had like the energy company came out and they had like light bulbs that were super energy efficient. He went on and on telling me about if we just, you know, change out all the light bulbs <laughs> in the house and, you know, those kinds of things. Um, I'm wondering though, like an example like that, everything from pollution to recycling to changing light bulbs, energy stuff. What about for people who feel like, does this really matter? Like, does what I do in my house do if I compost, if I don't compost, there's guilt associated, right? Does that really matter? This feels like we're doomed. Yeah, I hear that a lot. And actually, I, I hear it in my family. And I think, first of all, this is beyond what I think. Yes, everything we do matters. Just like voting, right? Like an individual vote can cast a large ripple effect. Every individual action humans make can have a large impact, just like the way we got connected was from one person. And now this message of environmental education in schools can be spread to parents all over. So absolutely, everything you do matters. <laughs> yeah, I know you're interested in creating curriculum and, um, you know, speaking and really, of course, I know I'm sure your your primary love are the kids. And though you also have sort of this teacher training track as well. What do you say to maybe somebody listening who goes, a what? Like we, we don't like, we don't have money in our budget for that position. How do we do this? What do you say to those schools? Cause I can imagine that many schools may feel that way. Yeah. I mean, I'm really lucky to be in my position. I know this position doesn't really exist elsewhere, but really my job is to reorient the curriculum that's already there through a different lens. So you don't even need a person in my position to be able to build into environmental ed into mainstream ed. It's really just a perspective shift. How can we see this standard that we have to teach and think about its connection to the environment and blend that connection so it's a streamlined, synthesized idea for students to digest? So how do you do that? Can you give can you give like maybe a simple example of how you incorporate that that environmental piece into everyday curriculum that already exists? Our eighth grade students just finished up a capstone project. So this was the civic seal of seal of civic readiness, excuse me, which is actually a high school credit. But we thought, well, you're never too young to take action. So why not start now? And so the the seal was all about really challenging students in social studies to understand their role in local government, in local politics and organizations around us. What are they doing? And what are some issues that you want to help tackle through those local organizations? So we had them study the UN Sustainable Development Goals, which are 17 goals. I don't know if you're familiar with them. They're 17 goals um, made by the UN to really just better our world by 2030. And they range anywhere from poverty to clean cities and energy to clean air and water, health, basically like a healthy humanity within a healthy global ecosystem. And so we use those as the framework upon which to build this civic action project. There was a lot of English language arts standards, were a lot of English language arts standards built into it because it's research. We taught them how to research, how to look critically look for the right kinds of sources and not just Google something and click the 
little arrow that Google wants you to read. We taught them how to communicate their research. So they had to present it to the public in some way. And they had to do a reflective piece too. So it was really social studies and English language arts, how to take in information, synthesize it and communicate it back out, but all through an environmental lens. So many of our students chose to focus on endangered species. They made websites on the California condor, which is an endangered species in California. They hellbender uh, salamander is local to New York. I think the key is to offer as much choice for students as possible. So to see those standards, think about how do those standards relate to the environment. So if you're in an English language arts teacher, then you are going to challenge students to reflect. You're going to challenge them to get stimulus from nature. You're going to challenge them to maybe do, we've done a personal narrative unit out in nature. If you're in social studies, you're going to have students think about how human civilization has evolved from our relationship with nature, indigenous perspectives versus Western perspectives, Eastern perspectives. In math, you're going to have students quantify maybe population trends, temperature, data of climate change over the years. And in science, I mean, it's science, right? So (laughs) we have energy, like what we were talking about, forces in motion of nature. We just launched rockets and the students in this class analyzed the forces and motion of the rockets through the weather and climate. How does our temperature affect the rocket launch? How does the changing, like if we did it now versus in April, if we did it now versus in 10 years from now in June, what temperature difference might result in a different uh, product? There are a lot of different avenues depending on what you teach. I think it's really just being willing to reevaluate what your curriculum looks like on the student end. Standards totally stay the same. It's just really changing the experience for the student. Mm -hmm. I like that. I really um, was just thinking, okay, yeah, this is doable. Um, I'm sure some guidance could be helpful and would be helpful, but it just requires a little, a shift, a shift of saying, you know, maybe just we're going to focus on climate. We're going to focus on certain, whatever certain aspect. So I feel like I I understand that now. I know that um, recently at your school, you all had some, a summit and uh, it's really cool because it is available for people to watch if they wanted to right on YouTube. Yeah. The keynote presentation, 10 fourth to eighth grade students who told their climate stories and did research and presented it to the entire student body and other school students too. It was incredible. Yeah, it was. I I watched it and I found these kids to be so impressive and uh, so well spoken and thoughtful. So I love that as as an option for people to to watch and see what could be possible when we empower our kids to utilize all sorts of skills, writing sp- skills and public speaking um, and their creativity to just to take this kind of publicly. I thought it was it was genius. And I know you were really excited about it, too. Yeah, it was awesome. And, and really, that spearheaded the whole day. The whole day was just a collection of ideas and an exchange of ideas from kids across grade levels, across schools. And, you know, I saw a really shy. This was like my favorite part of the day. I saw a really shy sixth grader huddled in a group, sitting on the floor, bent over this huge poster board with high school students from other schools whom they'd never met, confident eighth grade students. And this shy sixth grader had pen in hand and was like taking notes on the board. I mean, it was just, 
engagement at the highest level. And it was was the heartwarming moment I was hoping for of, wow, this discourse, this, these opportunities for students, they're really working. Absolutely. So, you know, I care, we all have our, our primary cares. We both care a ton about kids. I am particularly um, focused, of course, on mental health. Um, I'm curious if you can talk about how does this sort of eco-anxiety and these issues with our environment, how do you see that affecting mental health, you know, in students and their confidence and just the, the emotional part of it? How, what do you see in the schools? I have this name for it, social, emotional, environmental needs. Um, I just submitted a paper to the Environmental Education uh, Research Journal, actually on this exact topic of eco-anxiety absolutely is its own field. But I think our students, it's worth noting anxiety from COVID and how much they've magnified each other. Because, you know, COVID, the nature of global quarantine is severely isolating. That's why I'm so focused on connection, right? Reconnecting kids with themselves, with each other, with nature. And eco-anxiety in school presents itself in a lot of different ways. I've had kids when I've been teaching about climate change or developing solutions, I've had them say things like, well, why does it matter? Well, what can I do? This is dumb. And I hear that frustration as like powerlessness, like where do I stand in this larger picture where things are happening beyond my control? And I think it can be a real impediment for students who feel doom, right? This like impending doom that there's this huge problem that I've even had kids tell me in that paper I published or hoping to publish, who cares? We're all going to be dead by 2050. And I think eco-anxiety, you might, you know, you might not see it in like every single thing they do, but hearing comments like that, wow, that is, that is a red flag for me. Hearing things like, our dying contaminated planet. These are all quotes from fifth, sixth, seventh grade students. So I think whether it's on the forefront or in the background, it's there and it's worth having these conversations about. Absolutely. I want to, I've really enjoyed um, our conversation. I find myself sort of, you know, in deep thought about when I'm talking to people about mental health and, you know, I have sort of these 10 foundational pieces of health and One of them is to get out in nature more, right? And even I'd say every scenario, if you're sitting in some office that has zero windows and you sit at a desk all day, even looking at a picture of nature apparently boosts um, some serotonin and some endorphins in your body, but getting outside, doing walk and talks. This weekend, actually, the New York Times did a piece on the power of the walk and talk. And, you know, because it involves movement and it involves nature and it involves connection. You know, I think that's, this is part of your mission, I'm sure, is to get people connected and moving in nature, with nature. I know, and, and we've known for a very long time that, you know, taking care of our environment is is necessary for so on so many levels. And from my corner of the world, it also really improves or can hinder your mental health and physical health as well, air quality and, you know, those kinds of things, lack of sunshine, all of that. I'm wondering if you can share, where can people find out more about you? Where can they go to see kind of what you've been up to, maybe follow you, potentially get you in as a consultant or even a speaker or those things that you do? And if so, where can, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, absolutely. I would love to spread this message. 
um, as far and wide as you would have me. So um, you can find me on LinkedIn. My name is Rachel Arbor. Um, you can find my teaching website if you just Google Rachel Arbor teaching website. And you can find that's where you can find really a portfolio of my work. It's such a no brainer, right, to get back in nature, but it feels like a huge epiphany when we're so separated from nature. And my whole goal is really taking that separation and kind of bridging that gap because not only do, does our future need a collection of global citizens, a, a generation of global citizens, but we as individuals need that connection. We need that nature relationship. And that paper that I'm hoping to publish Students sat in nature and just nature journal for an hour and 15 minutes. And after that single nature journaling activity, they came back and they had significant improvements in mood. They were significantly less stressed and they understood their impact on the natural world. So, I mean, it really not only do we feel it as adults, but those kids, especially they are hurting right now and they need that nature connection. So yes, I would love to be your consultant. I would love to be your speaker. I would love to get this message spread because even though I believe in it so wholeheartedly, I'm also a teacher and I know that teachers can't be the ones expected to do the heavy lifting. So I just want to support as much as I possibly can. Absolutely. And I, I, um, I have one last question, which you alluded to, I know you have a paper on this and you know, you did some of your own kind of research with your students. Is there research out there, established research that supports some of these either, you know, claims that it could be helpful for X, Y, or Z? Like, is there research to support really getting this environmental education into education? Absolutely. My paper is unique because it's kind of blending circumstances of COVID with being a research practitioner in the classroom, but it was really a blend of my research and the larger work that's body that's already out there of, you know, sensory stimuli enhance our mood. Being out in nature over a long period of time enhances self-valuation. Being out in nature and connecting with people enhances our social lives really. So yes, there's a large body of work really promoting this and I and I hope to see it continue to grow. Absolutely. And so do I. Um I want to thank you so much for number one, first and foremost, being a teacher, being a part of leading, inspiring our current and future generations. So I'm eternally grateful to you and to teachers. And secondly, for really being on a mission, being really clear that you've got a big vision for bringing this all around the country and maybe the world as well, because you believe in it. And so I want to support you in doing that in any way possible. Um, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom um, and your vision. And um, I hope to be hearing a lot more from what you're doing and what you are influencing all around the country. So thank you for coming on. Oh. Yeah, it was thank wonderful. you. Oh, I yeah. just had to sit there hearing you thank me. I'm so grateful. To, <laughs> I mean, it was it was awesome, but I'm so grateful to be here and just, I mean, it's it's great to meet like minded people who, you know, the bottom line is kids. And it's great to meet people too, who care about kids from different perspectives, because together we can create this holistic child whose needs are met. Right. Um, so thank you so much for having me. This is really a pleasure. Thank you for coming on. And for those of you who are listening, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. All of those kinds of things mean everything to a podcaster. Have a great day.